Mm. You know what? I'm going to go with what I feel. The Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart. You say, did he call you on the phone? No, he spoke to my heart. I felt him and he said, so I'm going to heal somebody in this service this morning. I don't know who you are. I have no idea. I want you, if you need a healing touch this morning, I want you to lift your hands to God. I'm believing for the power we're singing about to move to action, to do something right now in your body. Lord, we declare that healing. I believe it comes from you. And Lord, you make invitation for someone to have faith in this house, to believe you for a healing touch. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. It was the blood, the atoning blood of Christ that touches our lives. And I believe, I believe, I believe that you can heal our brothers, our sisters this morning. Touch them by your Holy Ghost. Minister by your strength and power. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Holy Spirit of God. We are... Lord, obedient to you today. We worship you. We honor you. We bless your name. Your word declares that in the midst of our praise, you will set up your habitation. You inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, how can we praise you and the throne room of God be set up in our midst and us not get excited about that? How in the world can that be true? And us not recognize that when it ha- Oh, man, I feel God in this house. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. It's time for us to, you know, sometimes, can I just say this? You know, I'm going to anyway. I got the mic. Sometimes, Jeff, we have to get out of the box we came in. Sometimes we got to sit back and say, oh, no, 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 that, that, that isn't right. What are they doing? I, I, what are these people doing? Well, Marie, you came from the Presbyterian church. I love the fact that, was it Nazarene or Pres- Presbyterian? Huh? It was Nazarene. Well, they, they shout over there. But you come in here on a Sunday morning, and, and I was a little, this is years and years ago. I was like, after service was over, we had a service, man, the fire was falling. And I was like, Marie, how are you? Are you okay? She looked at me and she was just like, I love it. I love it. What? Like camp meeting. She said it was like camp meeting. You know, sometimes we got to get out of, of the box we come in. Because if we're not real careful, lots of doctrines and denominations and well-meaning uh, teachers and preachers, sometimes they'll scare us to death. They'll have us thinking, that God isn't personal, that He's not intimate, that He's not present. Sometimes they'll try to explain away the power of God because they don't know how to defend it. They don't know how to control it. I've learned in my life, let God be God. If He wants to send a fire by night or a cloud by day that's him if he wants to drop manna from the sky for my provision well that's just him if he wants when I've got the enemy at my back and I've got the Red Sea in front of me and there is no way out if he wants to part those waters for me to walk through I'm not going to sit back and say well now listen that's not what I believe in That's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm just going to let him do that. Amen. And you've come too late to try to tell me he don't heal. Where are you at? Where is she? There she is. She's over at the prayer wall. Elaine, step right out here so people can see you. How many years? Seven years, stage four cancer. Told her she was dying. But here she is, seven years later, still worshiping God. And you say, you say, oh, now, now, no, wait a minute. She probably had, you know, a little, just a little bit or whatever. No, it was from her brain all the way down through her body. I saw the scans and they scared me to death. 
But the thing is, I saw the other scan too. There were one scan showed black marks all over from her brain down through her body. But the next scan showed all those black things were gone. And the power of God had healed her. And you're healed this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you've come too late to try to tell me that's not in our doctrinal commitment. Too late. He wants to touch you right where you are. He wants to minister to you before we go further in this service. Someone, he, I believe he's touched you, but I'm believing that healing has hit this house today. There's going to be more than just one testimony. There's going to be several testimonies. Why? Because I said it, no. Because I believe the power of God is speaking it into our lives right now. And I'm believing that God is touching you right where you are. Dare to believe him. Dare to declare that he's done it in your life. Dare to believe that it's for you. Amen. You'll have a testimony like hers. I like having her around. <laughs> Father, we thank you. Lord, we stop and acknowledge that your presence is here in a strong, mighty way. We give you honor and glory. We thank you that when you spoke through your son and said, I'm going to go to my father, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And whereas John baptizes you with water, he's going to baptize you with fire. We thank you that the fire is here today. The Holy Spirit hasn't left the earth. He's right here. And we honor you for the presence that we feel, the work that's being accomplished and done, and for the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives that help us every single day to live a victorious, overcoming life. We give you the glory for it all. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone said amen. 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 Give one more round of applause, and then we're going to read the word. Amen. Luke chapter 10, our message this morning, and we'll get right to it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Familiar passage of Scripture. You know it well. It works good in our month of, this month in February, we're going to talk about love. Everybody say love. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk today about love, just the, the compassion and love. But we're going to talk about married love, and sweetheart love. You all, take, you all are taking somebody out for Valentine's Day, right? If you're married in here today and you got a wife or a husband, don't you dare let Valentine's Day go by without doing something precious, sweet, and amazingly sappy and romantic for them. Don't you dare. You'll have me to answer to if you don't. So husbands, wives, call me if they didn't do it, and I'll, I'll be on them. Somebody says, right, whatever. Okay. But this month is dedicated to love. The greatest gift the Lord ever gave, it, gave us as the body of Christ was something that lingers with us. It's, it's here in the room. It's the fragrance of God. It's love. There's nothing more precious and more beautiful. Nothing that makes the difference. I mean, two complete strangers can meet one another. And next thing you know, their heart's palpitating and they can't eat or sleep. And they just live. I mean, I knew my buddy, Bob Kelly, when he first met Peggy. And he was my best friend. And we, you know, we were going down to Princeton Pike for revival so we could meet women. That was the only reason we went. We did not go for Jesus. I'm sorry. We didn't. We went and we called it scoping. We went scoping for women at Princeton Pike. And they had a whole slew of them. All the Harlem Park girls were mad at us because we were like, no, nah, we're going to go down to Princeton Pike. It wasn't because we'd already just dated all them and they didn't like us. So we were going down to the others. But he met Peggy. Peggy was singing in the Shekinah Singers Choir at Princeton Pike. And she was all up there just shouting and praising God. And he just, like, got all excited. I'll never forget the first night that we were hanging out, getting pizza or something. And I looked at his rearview mirror, and there was this pink ribbon hanging from it. And I was just like, dude, what is wrong with you? What is that? What in the world? And he was just like, that's, that's Peggy's. And I was just like... <laughs> I'm glad she's not up there. 
Oh, there she is in the lobby. <laughs> She's looking at me. She's pointing at me. Hi, Peg. <laughs> love you, Peg. He picked him a real good one, didn't he? Don't you love Peggy Gilly? She's amazing. But it was, it was awesome the way it changed. One week, we're just going to scope. And the next week, he's got a pink ribbon tied around his rearview mirror. And uh, he was in love. It changed. Love. God's gift to us. This amazing expression of, of soul to soul, heart to heart love. We're going to talk about love today, but we're going to talk about it in a way that sets us up for the good stuff. Come back for the romantic love. Today, we're going to talk about a compassion and a love that starts in the heart of every Christian. And a certain lawyer arose to try and test and tempt Jesus, saying, Teacher, what am I to do to inherit everlasting life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I'm reading from the Amplified Version, and it goes on to say, enjoy active, blessed, endless life in the kingdom of God. And he, determined to acquit himself of reproach, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus, taking him up on it, replied, a certain man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him of his clothes, belongings, and beat him and went their way unconcernedly leaving him half dead as it happened. Now by coincidence, a, a certain priest was going down along that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A Levite, likewise, came down to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. But a certain Samaritan, as he traveled along, came down to where he was, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion with pity and sympathy for him, and went to him and dressed his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. And then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I myself will repay you when I return. And Jesus looks at the man and asks the question, Which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to him who fell among the robbers. He answered, the one who showed compassion, pity, mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Can you say amen? Father, we ask your blessings on the word of God as we receive it today. We thank you for the challenge from your Holy Spirit today. Minister to us and change us in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Compassion. It's called love's obligation. You see, it's not enough just to love. There's an obligation to love. There's an obligation to love that includes things like mercy and grace, forgiveness, offense, all of these things. It just goes washing right out with love. Love that makes a difference. Love that shows up, love that's powerful, that goes beyond just words or activity or offering. Although those things are necessary. I read a conversation between a minister and a drug dealer, and these were the comments the drug dealer made. Hey, Rev, when a kid gets up in the morning and heads off to school, I am there. When he comes home from school, I'm there. When he comes out to play, I'm there as well. They all know where I am at all times. Hey, Rev, they know where I am. Where are you? When I read that, it spoke to my heart in a crazy way because I was like, well, I'm a Rev. I'm a Rev. And I thought about that. We're a church. You're Christians question 
when we see the evil that's around us, and evil is everywhere, amen? Evil is everywhere. Morning, noon, and night never quits. It never gives up. It, all hours, all places, never off duty, constantly attacking, trying to persuade, there to woo and to draw our young people, our adults, our people. Constantly the enemy never gives up. I, 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 when I was very young, I, I had an experience where I, I felt like, you know, as I was getting uh, established in the faith, I would pray and I would feel so guilty and condemned and I would get on my knees and I would say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I failed again. I failed, I remember the numbers, I failed 1,485 times. Lord, how could you ever forgive me again? And I would get the, the, the presence of God and it would feel him securely as one time in particular. He, he spoke to my own heart and showed me a picture of a pen. And he said, why do you always assume I'm so mad at you? You have the wrong impression of me. You see me as this cruel, mean ogre of an, a schoolmaster that's standing over you, ready to blot your name out of the book of life at the slightest thought or the slightest problem or the slightest little error of, that you make in your mind or, or even sin. And instead, you should see me as a father who loves you. It's full of mercy and grace. And that pen that you see that's ready to blot you out, see that pen filled with the blood of my son ready and waiting when you fail, when you fall, when you sin. Look to me and ask me, Lord, forgive me and watch how quickly I blot out thy transgressions. He said, I desire for you to love. I want you to be in right standing. I look for ways to bring redemption to you. It was a beautiful picture. Somehow, it's amazing, we see God as so hard-lined and so cruel and so impossible and condescending and condemning that we sometimes get them mixed up in their roles. We actually think the devil is more merciful. We'll testify to the fact that the devil is just so merciful, so grace, so full of grace. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you pray, doesn't matter how many times you pray through, or you fast, or you read your word, maybe you've gone six months and haven't fallen or failed and not been tempted in any way to, to give up on your relationship with God. But sure enough, it doesn't matter how many times you've prayed, doesn't matter how many years you've given to the Lord, the devil will always take you back. I mean, he stands ready and waiting. He's right there. You serve God, you get saved, sanctified, filled with the Spirit of God. He's there the next morning. Say, I don't care. It's okay that you prayed last night. It's all right. I'll, I forgive you. You can come back to the evil and sin in your life. Comical, maybe, but so true. We have no problem understanding that the devil is just so ready to always take us back, but yet we always feel, oh, I can't come back to God. It's too hard. I can't get through. I'm, a, I'm ashamed. When God says, come on, baby, get up. For us, God knows more about us than we know. And he looks at us, and it's like a child learning how to walk. And, and when you don't, you don't ever look at that little baby who's taking the first step and falls flat on his face. You don't stand there with hands on your hips saying, I give up on you. I quit. I can't believe you fell twice. Done with you. Walk on your own. Crawl the rest of your life. God doesn't do that. He picks you right back up. Come on, baby. Come on. Come on. Now, I'm not asking for a dog. So it's, <laughs> come on, baby. Come on. Come on. Take another step. You fall down. Get back up. Come on. You can do it. Look, look, three steps, four steps. Come on. God loves us enough. God is full of love and compassion. Compassion that goes beyond that goes beyond just love as we know it. We're, we're so driven. We, we don't understand sometimes the way that society has trained us. And, and unfortunately, culture has, has, has defined Christianity and, and has made it confusing in so many ways. We, we need to understand the reality. Of the, as I said, the evil is everywhere. And we need a definite sign to this world. We need something, a 
bright neon light that shines out to the entire world, that that is a wrong path, that is not the right way to go. There is a better way. But, you know, the, the time that we live in is tough because the, the very places that are supposed to be the places that exalt and express the great love of God fail. Fail. Hey, Rev. I'm here. Where are you? Hey, church. We're at the school playground. We're at the city park. We're at the mall. We're on their iPhones. We're on their Apple tunes. We're everywhere. Where are you? Where are you? As I speak these words this morning, our nation is deeply divided. We have astounding immorality, shockingly criminal everywhere we look. Shameful is our politics. Forgive me, we won't discuss anymore. Shameful is our politics. We disagree with everybody. We no longer trust one another anywhere. The only amazing truth that seems to be bubbling to the top of all the immorality and the mess that's out here in this world, the only thing that seems... The only thing that seems to be good about all that is that the church is finally waking up and saying that America is being, is lost in its immorality and its degradation. We finally are seeing that the moral and spiritual decay is taking over and we need a revival. We need the church to wake up and be what it's called to be in these last days. And that, my friend, is a church of fire. That's a church of power. A church that has something that speaks into the lives of drug addicts and alcoholics and people that are involved in pornography and sexual trafficking. We have got to have something that is able to speak to the lowest of the low and the evil that is killing our children and destroying families. We're beginning to finally see that it's going to take more than a political party. It's going to take more than that, more than just money. To rebuild our cities and our homes, our families, to preserve our, chi- our kids. It's going to take more than that. It takes several things. It takes aggressive prayer as we are filled with the love of God. And not just the love of God, but the compassion of God. We need a rebirth of compassion because there is a difference between saying you love someone and saying you have compassion for someone. And that's what we're going to talk about in the minutes that I have. Compassion, what does it mean? A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. What's it mean simply? It means to come alongside of someone and suffer with them. With a desire to pull them up and out of the situation they find themselves in. A strong personal element is there with real love. Real love is not just an expression of words. It's an expression of activity. It's action. It's doing something. Webster, you remember him, Daniel Webster, the old dictionary. 1828, he put the first dictionary together, and he had it right. He Much better than all these people today, the Wikipedia people. They got it all wrong. They don't know the... the all the history and the facts of everything. I can even just take you. They don't even know Olivia Newton-John like I do. They make up stuff. But Daniel Webster, in defining the word compassion, in 1828 said, suffering with another. Painful sympathy. I thought, oh, that's good. Wrote it down. Circled it, put it in blue in my notes. Painful sympathy. We'll find people who are sympathetic. We'll find people that feel sorry. We meet people constantly that look on the misfortune of others and and we're, we're so sorry. We'll even give an offering. We'll say a prayer. Will do some kind of expression that says, I care about that. I'm concerned about you. But that's not compassion. That's not compassion. Compassion is getting down there where they hurt 
it's more than just a feeling of being sorry. Compassion is more than just understanding that they're going through something. It's, it's seeing their pain. And better than just seeing their pain, it's about going down in the pit with them to pull them up to a higher level of life. It's being determined that you're going to make a big difference in their life. You're going to do something with the love and the expression of sorrow that you feel. It's sorrow accompanied by suffering. I'm going to sacrifice something. I'm going to do something to help in their situation. We say amen and it stirs our hearts and we take notes. We need more compassion. We need painful sympathy. But the question is not, is it good to write in our notes? Is it, is it challenging us? Does it change us? Does it change us? It's changing me. I've had this in my heart this week. I've been warring over and going over some things. And, and I made mention of the first service. And I'll say it again. Pastor Brian is a friend to me. I love all of our ministers. But he's a friend that literally came to me sat and was honest with me. I mean, as many of you, all pastors, you, you all know that pastors go through suffering, attack, and trial, and they go through difficult things and times. You know that. We're not immune to that any more than you are. And I've gone through some things, and he knows about those things. It's overwhelming things with family and with just troubles, trials, and, and things that have, have zapped and taken energy and taken feeling and, and emotion and, and and he looked at me and asked me some hard questions. He was afraid that some of the things I was going through was, was hardening me. And he asked me. He didn't, he didn't attack me or condemn me. He just said, do you think that maybe you got to be careful that the things you go through, that it doesn't harden you? And boy, that, that ministered to me. I wasn't offended at all. I saw him as a friend to me. And I got alone in my house, and I want to tell you, I said, God, like David, examine my heart. See if there's anything wicked in me, if there's anything evil, if there's something that's trying to harden me and make me cold and indifferent. I want to be someone who's compassionate. I want to be somebody who's full of love. I don't want the things I've gone through to make me hard inside. Lord, make me soft again. Make me real again and touch my heart. And I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit flooded my house, and he touched my life, and I was so full of his presence and his power. He broke me into a million pieces, and I just knew that he had done a great work. You know, it takes sometimes somebody who's able to look us honestly in the face and say, hey, don't let this change you. Don't let what you're going through harden you. Don't let it hurt you. Don't let it take you down. Don't let it make you want to quit, man. Get back up and let the love of God bring action to your sympathy and bring power to your travail. God will touch you. That's biblical compassion. It's biblical compassion. It was awesome. You see, it's more than love. It's an obligation of love, this thing called compassion. What happens many times, G.K. Chesterton wrote this, and, and I wanted to get this across to you. It's, it's a quote that he came up with, which is amazing. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Now, let me read that again because you've got to get it. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. No, sir. It's been found difficult and left untried. You say, well, then who makes Christianity difficult? We do. The church does. Shock, surprise, gasp for air together. We make it difficult. We make Christianity unattractive. Is this okay? You might need to open the door. I might need to run out. We make Christianity unattractive. We are the problem. What makes it so difficult? When we preach, when what we preach doesn't match up to how we live. That confuses the world, confuses the sinners, the lost out in the world. They look at the church and they think, wow, really? 
they're living in a fantasy world. They've got their head in the clouds. They're all this super religious stuff, and they don't have any clue what they're talking about. Let me tell you, it's time for the church to rise up with real love that transforms and changes our lives and changes the message that we send from this house. And it starts with real compassion. When Noah Webster, it was Noah Webster, was talking about um, the, the word compassion back in 1828, he quoted Luke 15 and chapter 20. See him try to do that today. We've been talking about this very story for the last several weeks. And in Luke 15 and 20, it talks about the prodigal son. And it says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, had compassion, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And we know from weeks past that he kissed him exceedingly. Brought the robe, brought the ring, brought the sandals, killed the fatted calf. He'd been feeding extra for months and he was ready for the celebration. He was showing compassion. So significant because it showed us that love is more than just a feeling. Love is not just an emotion. This kind of compassion, the kind of love we're talking about in the word of God. Biblical compassion means that you see the problem and you're moved by the need. You get up, you get out, you go, you do. It's about doing, not just expressing, not just using words. That's what compassion, real compassion is all about. It's about being real, being what you say, being what you preach. Jesus was our great hero of compassion. He knew that the idea of love, love in the Bible is not about just saying you love. It's about doing. It's about being. Jesus was our great example. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. And when Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away. You give them something to eat. Or it says, I'm sorry. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, Lord, we only have these five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. How many of you know he believes in loving with compassion? He'll do something about it. And whenever the Lord loves, he loves abundantly. He loves exceedingly. Another time, he fed 4,000. He had seven loaves of bread, and they took seven baskets away. When the Lord saw two blind men in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, it says, Jesus was filled with compassion, and he healed them on the spot right there. But the most shocking example of Jesus' compassion would not sit well in the 21st century. The most shocking in the Bible, the most shocking compassion that Jesus showed was in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion. Uh-oh. That means he's not just going to say, I'll pray for you. I'll, say a pr- I'll keep you in my prayers. love ya (laughs) moved with compassion that means love that says I gotta do something love that says I'm not just gonna give you an offering although that's good, that's doing something but how many of you know sometimes that's the easy way out compassion says I'm going to do something pray all the time, Lord, show me your compassion. But there in that moment, it says something unbelievable. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, 
Jesus touched the leper. He broke all the rules. He went against all good reason, all logic. Can't do that, Jesus. God, surely you don't expect the church to do that. Not in flu season. He busted up all the customs. Leprosy meant you were unclean, according to the Old Testament. The people were so afraid of the lepers that they made them live in a special colony. Outside society, they were not allowed to go near the case they might contaminate somebody. But Jesus said, his, his example, his example, the great hero that he is of love and compassion, says he was moved with compassion to do something for the leper. And he stretched out his hand and touched him. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not afraid to step in where it's hurting. He's not afraid to get in there where the pain is tough and the suffering is crazy. He's not afraid to walk in to the most dark of circumstances. This is the example we have of the hero of our faith, the God that we love and we serve, and we are his church. We are his church. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we've all got to go out there and now just, and just throw caution to the wind. I mean... That back in the day when the Good Samaritan was, was walking down the path there, they didn't have 911. They couldn't call for EMTs. They couldn't get you know, to the hospital emergency room. We're blessed in this day. How many of you know it? We're blessed. We have doctors. We have nurses. We have EMTs that are able to come on the scene and take care of business. But when Jesus saw the man with leprosy, he was so moved. He reached out and touched him. You say, well, we aren't Jesus. <laughs> right. And maybe, maybe that's the problem. Hey, Rev, where are you? I'm here. I'm out here where the kids are. I'm at the middle school. I'm on the playground. I'm at the mall. They know where I'm at all the time. Hey, Rev, where are you? What an indictment against the church. We can't do it all. I mean, Mother Teresa couldn't save every baby in Calcutta, although she tried. We're not expected to do it all, but how many of you know we're expected to do our part? We're expected to do something. We're expected to do something. But how far short we are in comparison to the compassion of Jesus. Margaret Stankster wrote this poem. And I'm getting ready to, to close. So Gary, if you could start helping me to land the plane. She wrote this poem. She says, it isn't the things you do. It's the things you leave undone that gives you a bit of heartache at the setting of the sun. The tender word forgotten, the letter you did not write. The flowers you didn't send are haunting you at night. The stone you may have lifted out of a brother's way. The bit of heartfelt counsel you hurried too much to say. The loving touch of a hand. The gentle winning tone. Which you had no thought for with the troubles of your own. For life is all too short and sorrow is all too great. To suffer our slow compassion that tarries until too late. We can all relate to these words to things not that we've done that we're troubled about but perhaps you've been where I've been that you're troubled by the things left undone it's painful but we shouldn't lose heart because what's amazing about today is the Lord hasn't come the harvest is still ripe Marie, they're still waiting for us. There's hurting people everywhere. And today is a brand new day. I have a little plaque that sits right by my front door. And it's there, Michelle, every, every morning when I walk out, I look at this. And it's a word for us today. It's, it's right there. And every day it reminds me, Hannah, today is the first day for the rest of my life. Yesterday's history. With all of its failure. It's good, it's bad, it's ugly. But today 
It's a brand new day. It's the first day to the rest of our life. So don't lose heart. Just gain a new understanding of compassion. You see, the, the, the good Samaritan, he didn't even, he, he didn't do it all himself even. The example's there for us. He, he picked him up, put him on his beast, took him to the hotel where he was staying. He took care of him, and then when it was time for him to go, he left him in the care of the innkeeper, and he paid him money. And he said, if it costs more, when I come back, I'll just bill me. But he left him in the care of someone else. You see, it wasn't that sometimes we think, well, if we can't do it all, we can't do anything. If we can't make a big difference, we don't do anything. But listen, the, the example is there for us. It was not that he was supposed to do it all. He was just supposed to do what was in his path. The Levite and the priest left their path, missed their opportunity. The Good Samaritan, who was hated, despised, I found that usually those people that are outcasts in society make great Christians. The ones who've suffered the most are the ones who live the holiest and are used the most. It's crazy how that works. But I think it's because they don't have ego and pride and all those things in the way. I don't know what the Levite was going to do. I mean, they're the priests. They're the ones who take care of the temple. They're the ones who've been given the sac sacrament rites. And, and they're supposed to be taken care of. But maybe he just, he needed to get to his Torah small group. I don't know. He was just thinking of other things. He might have been late for his, his Torah, you know, his outfit fitting or whatever. He, said, but he couldn't stop to take time. He was too busy doing God's work. He was too busy with appointments and places to be and places to go. He just had everything had to be by the, by the dot, by the schedule right here. So he didn't have time to stop. Don't have time. The priest who's supposed to know the character of God, who's supposed to speak the or, as the oracle of God, he's supposed to have all the information, he's supposed to show us God, shows us how to get sidetracked. When our intentions are probably right, but we're wrong. The Good Samaritan, which he's been known for thousands of years now. The Good Samaritan didn't have all the religious knowledge. He wasn't given all special privilege. He just had compassion. The only difference between him and the priest and the Levite was that he had compassion. Compassion that says it's more than a feeling, it's more than just love, it's action. Picked him up and took care of him. He didn't have to follow the guy all the way through his life to make sure it all ended right. He just did what was in his path to do. And God is calling you and I to live out the path that we walk every day. In your life, there will be people in your path. You're not called to Elaine's path. You're not called to Cindy's path. You're not called to Marvin Ray's path. You're called to your path. And in your path, all along the way are going to be moments where you're tested. You're either going to be the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. And you got to know who you are. And you got to understand what it truly means to be a Christ-like child of God. You got to know that compassion means we not only love in word, but we also love in deed. We do what the, what the word tells us to do when it comes to meeting the needs of those who are going through the trials and the troubles. I'm telling you, our church is going to change the course of its nature and history. Our church will just change everything in this city if we will ever get in tune with the true love and compassion of God. If we become that, then it'll be that God will anoint us and give us many opportunities. Our path will broaden and we will be able to see the hurting and those that are going through trouble and trial and going through the, the suffering and we'll have an answer for them one after the other. Now tonight is a good time to get started. It's a good time for you to sign up and to be a part this week of Shalom where we get to make a difference in those who are no different than you and I but they find themselves in a misfortunate time and season of their lives. It's time for you and I to get past our Levitical thinking 
thinking and our priestly thinking and start thinking like a Samaritan and get out here and get dirty and make a difference and love people with an idea that you're going to lift them up and give them a hand to get started in a new direction. That's compassion. That's real love. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The last question, won't you stand with me? That'll even get us even closer to exit. The last question, listen. Because here's the problem I find with the church. Most of the time, Tony, people, I'm terrible. I'm just terrible today. Most of the time, we'll sit on our pew, and we're listening to messages like this. And we're going, "Mm mm-hmm, I hope they're listening. That's for, mm, that's for you. Got you. That's for you. And I wasn't really pointing at anyone, just for the, just for the record. <laughs> Somebody would come up to me after church, but you pointed right at me. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it. But understand, listen, you aren't as perfect as you think you are. You aren't as compassionate as you think you are. Receive that from the Lord. I did. I did. Search our hearts, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way in us, any selfish, prideful, arrogant, selfish agenda. Lord, see if there be anything Levitical or priestly about us that's not sacred before you. In other words, see if there's anything religious in us. And Lord, get it out. Remove it. Touch our church. Minister to our neighbors. The lawyer asked Jesus, and so, Master, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, well, which one of those three do you think was the neighbor? I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not, it's not a trick question. I, I think we could go down to Children's Church right now. I could walk in Rock Island, and I could say, hey, kids, here's the story of the, the, Samari- the Good Samaritan. Hey, walking down the street, and after I talk about the priest and the Levite and the Good Samaritan, I bet you all the kids are going to be like, I know, I know. Who's your neighbor? I know, it's the Samaritan. And they'll all clap, and it'll be right. Good answer. That wasn't the issue. That wasn't what was so powerful about that story. What Jesus was getting across was, number one, compassion is more than just words. It's action. It's doing something. But then he looked at him, and he said, well, the man who showed compassion and then Jesus left him with the punch the last words are he said go do likewise ouch go do likewise be that guy be that lady be the church hey Rev where are you I want to look evil right in the face. I want to say, here we are. We're here. We're interceding. We're praying for our prodigals. We're we're declaring that our city is clean. We're taking charge. We're spiritual warfare is in our hearts and minds, and we are going to show up. We're going to be there. We're not just going to say we love our community without doing something about it. We're going to get out and do what we can. And in that process, we are the church. In that process, we are the neighbor. Turn to somebody and say, hello, neighbor. So with heads bowed, nice closed. I've kept you, I'm sorry, but I'm going to close now.
For I am a God of great mercy. My compassions fail not. Look to me and know that I am a God of great power. I am able to sustain you. I am able to enable you. I am able to empower you. I will use you, says the Lord, but you must come the hard road. You must come the difficult path. I will call you to suffering at times for me, but it will not be without its reward. Look to me and know that I will strengthen you and I will be the right hand of power over every circumstance that you find yourself in. Trust in me. Know that I am a God of great compassion and love. I desire to use you, says the Lord. Would you just lift your hands and honor him today? We believe in the gifts and operation in the church is found in 1 Corinthians. And what you've heard just now is the gift of tongues and interpretation. And this is biblical and it's a message from the Holy Spirit to the church that confirms the word that has been preached. And we honor you, Father, and we thank you, Lord. We ask today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anyone at all who would say, Pastor, I'm not right with God, but I, I want to be. I need to pray a prayer to be right with the Lord, and I want to pray that with you today. If you'd say, I, I'm ready, I'm, I'm going to do that. A prayer from my heart, from your heart, believing that Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he purchased your salvation, not just words, but from your heart of compassion. If you pray that prayer today, you'll be saved. Right here in this place, heaven meets earth. Is there anyone who would lift your hand now and say, I'll pray that prayer with you right now. Would you? God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. So anyone else? I want to pray that prayer. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord, for hands going up. Anyone else? Just for a moment. Going to wait. All right. Let's pray this prayer. Thank you so much for your honesty and transparency. This prayer prayed from your heart. We're going to have some people waiting for you at the small groups table in the lobby. They're going to give you a Bible if you need that. They're going to give you some information. They will help you to get started in your new walk with Jesus. We don't want to just throw you into the pool and teach, say, go ahead and swim. We're going to help you to get established in your relationship with Jesus. So please come by that booth there. And if you made this prayer your own today, then please go by and they'll, they'll help you get started. But Let's all pray together. Church, will you help us? Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Savior. You are the Son of God. You died on the cross. You took my sins. You rose from the dead and purchased my salvation. Now be the Lord of my life. I give you everything. Today is a new day. For I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God.